What's up, guys? Welcome to episode four of the Obsidian Canine Academy podcast. Let's get straight into it with Obsidian News. Now, I've changed the layout a little bit this week, so we're going to do Obsidian News, which is what's being posted and talked about at Obsidian Canine this week. Then we're going to do Q&A, just three questions that are getting asked a lot. Then we're going to do Academy updates, and then we're going to do my bit of weekly advice. We'll see how this layout goes. I'm looking forward to it. So, first things first. Training is not optional. Put a post up. Um, you've probably seen the meme. Well, I say meme, it's just a, it's a poster, really. Of the, the dog. Um, like, when you, when you get a dog, training is not an optional thing. You've got to just fucking train, whether you like it or not. You've got to put the work in for that dog. It's your responsibility to do so. And someone commented on it with a really good point, saying you wouldn't wait for your child to be incarcerated to teach them right from wrong. And it's the same for dogs. If people came here with 8, 10, 12, 14, 20-week-old puppies, they would spend far less money than when they come here with massive dog aggression, massive problems, you know, with a 3, 4, 5, 6-year-old dog plus that they've just not fucking bothered to get sorted from the beginning. Get it sorted. Get it sorted from day one, and you're good. Does breed matter? We've had this conversation at length with various people, and, and continue to do so. Because, obviously, I have a... Well, my two main dogs... My two main dogs are a, a Rottweiler and a Mali Cross Shepherd. So they see that, and they're like, oh, it's easy for you, you have that dog. What they forget is that I've also got a Greyhound and a Shih Tzu, and they're both trained as well. Now, they're not trained to the same degree. And that's kind of what I wanted to get across in this post. Like, yes, it matters if you want massively high level. But no, of course, it doesn't matter if you just want a well-behaved dog. Um, it matters because of the, the learning capacity of a breed. My greyhound's got no desire to play tug and no real food drive and no desire for affection. He just wants to chase things. Um, but that doesn't mean I can't have him nicely trained. We'll get one in a million that will do competition obedience at a high level, but for the most part, you need to pick your breed around your around your needs. Whether your needs be, you know, home life or what you want to do as a job or competing or whatever it is, it makes no difference. You need to pick your breed carefully. But no, it doesn't matter if you've got a dog at home and you think you can't train it because of its breed. That's bullshit. Should you punish growling? This is a bit of a controversial topic, and it's one that I try hard to dispel because growling is just a communication form from a dog, and there's a million and one reasons why a dog is growling. However, the post I put on was about resource guarding. I don't think you should ever punish resource guarding growling because the behavior is already based in conflict. The problem is that you're coming near my bowl of food, for example, and I don't like it because you're going to take it away from me. So then you punish that dog and take the food away from you, And their initial thought process was correct. And they were right to growl at you. I'm a big fan of teaching resource guarding the opposite way around. You know, the throwing chicken in the bowl method. Um, If you don't know about it, Google it or go watch the Academy video. Um, And yeah, of course, growling can be punished at times. Just not during resource guarding for me. Not ever. Don't think it's ever a beneficial thing. This is not guilt Obviously, you can't see the picture that I'm looking at because this is a podcast. It's the picture of the two 
oh no, the picture I used was a Labrador looking, inverted commas, guilty about its um, chewing the bed up or something. <laughs> dogs can't feel guilt, and lots of people got sad on because they said dogs are very highly intelligent creatures, and I agree, and they're emotional creatures, and I agree. However, we've proven factually that dogs cannot rationalise a situation. They are not episodic learners like people are. They are associative learners. So they associate point A and point B, or thing A and thing B. If you put on a red jacket every time you take your dog out for a walk, then the dog's going to associate that red jacket with going out for a walk. And it's just the same as the guilt thing. They're not guilty because it's an advanced emotion that involves rationalisation, which dogs don't have, which we can scientifically prove. And the people still denying that are just fucking stuck with their head in the sand, aren't they? <sighs> Sorry. Um, dogs associate things. So the dog associates tuning its bed up with the punishment that you've given it. You know, or spatial pressure, or hormone release, or something that you have done, or said, or been at a time. Daily Grey. I have started daily vlogging. Almost daily vlogging. Five vlogs a week I'm going to do. So I'm not doing today's. Friday, um, because I've got a busy weekend, and it'll be better to vlog the busy weekend than to vlog my office day. Um, but yeah, Daily Grey's on the YouTube channel, Obsidian Canine, or Obsidian Canine Academy. Um, Facebook page, Obsidian Canine Academy. Instagram, Obsidian Canine Academy. The full episodes are on IGTV. Um, and obviously the bits and bats are going to be on Instagram stories. So yeah, go and check that out. It's going to be good. I'm just going to be literally daily vlogging all of it. So business shit and uh, dog training stuff, personal life, all of it. I just want to be more transparent. Like I try and be super transparent with you guys anyway. And I want to be more transparent. And I think that's the best way to do it. And then we went on to the uh, old dog new tricks. I get a lot of this. People want to join the academy, but they are worried that they can't because their dog's five or seven or nine. And you can absolutely teach an old dog new tricks. Obviously, you've got more habit built up over the years to out-train, which is not always possible. It's not always possible to get to the elite level. Um, and you've also got to take into account if you've got a 10-year-old Rottweiler and you want to teach it full competition healing, it might not be physically able to do that, to do the required behaviours. And if it is physically capable, you might not have enough time left in its life to finish it. Um, so you can definitely teach old dog new tricks, but you've got to be aware of how long you've got left, what state the dog's in, all of them kind of things. And then we moved on to the biggest myth in dog training about dogs being pack animals. Now, prerequisite. The word for a group of dogs is indeed a pack. Just like the word for a group of geese is a gaggle. You know, just like the word for a group of fish is a school. But we're talking about the word pack as in the psychological studies definition pack with a hierarchy and an alpha male and female and wolves absolutely do have this an alpha male and female and they're nothing more or less than a breeding pair they're not more elite they're not they don't dominate the other wolves and even if they did dogs don't work like that dogs are social opportunists and again we know this factually the guy who founded pack theory dr david mech well one of the guys the guy who made it famous debunked his own studies with a huge scholarly paper in great scientific detail that dogs are social opportunists. And a social opportunist, yeah, there is dominance displayed and there is resource guarding and they do work in groups, um, but it's fluid. The dominance is fluid, the groups are fluid. 
you know, if one dog's very good at catching food, then that dog will be in charge of that task. And no, it's not anywhere near as simple as that, but that's the Billy basics of it. Um, maybe we'll do a full episode on this one day, but we'll see. But yeah, dogs are not pack animals. Stop alpha rolling your dog. Stop pretending to be the alpha. Stop pretending to be the leader of the pack. You're not even a fucking dog. How can you be the leader of a group of dogs when you're not a dog? How many dogs do you see roaming around the oceans leading a group of whales? The answer is zero. How many lions do you see leading a group of elephants? Again, zero. You're the wrong breed, bro. You're the wrong breed. And then finally, so you want a Malinois. I posted this a while ago. It was the same post. Um, it's just a really important message to me. People fucking buying dogs because they look nice or because they saw one on Max the film or because they friends got one and they think it's cool. You have to pick your dog breed based on what you want, what you need. You know, maybe you can't even fucking have a dog. Maybe you should have a fish. Lots of people should. Um, you've got to pick your dog based on your needs and its needs. If you're working in an office 40 hours a week, don't buy a fucking Malinois. If you live in an apartment in central London, don't buy a Malinois. You're going to have headaches. And then when it destroys your five grand leather sofa with Bluetooth speakers inbuilt into it, you're going to be pissed off with the dog. And it's not the dog's fault. It's your fault because you made a bad decision. Right, let's move on to quick Q&A. Only three questions. This podcast is going to be a bit shorter than usual because I am hella busy. What is the best collar for lead walking? Um, the bottom line is, you can teach lead walking on any tool that you so desire. Flat collar, slip lead, half check, full chain, harness, pinch, anything. Are some easier to teach than others? Yes, but they come at a cost. And that cost is that, do you want to walk around with your dog in that piece of equipment all the time? Because if you teach it in that piece of equipment and never phase it out... You're never going to be able to teach it and everything else. So I teach all of my lead walking on the things that I want my dogs to wear when we go for a walk. That's one of two things. It's either a flat collar or a slip lead. And the slip lead's not for its tightening qualities. It's because it's easy to throw on the dog's head. Because there's usually one lying around, there's often one around my neck, and it's easy just to throw on. If you're training your dog in a chain, or you're training your dog in a pinch collar, or you're training your dog to lead walk with an e-collar on, that's great. Well, to be fair, no, I wouldn't do it, but hey, each to the wrong. However, unless you're going to fade that tool out, you're always going to have to put it on every time you go for a fucking walk, and that's a headache. It's just a headache that you don't need. On top of that, even if you are going to phase it out, why bother? It's such a simple, a simple task to teach. There's no need for them to be, you know, that over-engaged and difficult. It doesn't need to be hard. It's a, it's a simple task. You can teach it on a flat collar. You can teach it on a harness. You can teach it on whatever you want. For me, it's either a slip lead or a flat collar. Question two. I'm struggling with sits on the move. How can I improve this? Well, sits on the move. People that are struggling with sits on the move are generally struggling because they're trying to go from just having a static sit right into you know, an IPO3 style sit on the move, and it doesn't work. There's obviously a million steps in between there. So my overview of sits on the move is, I like a pause method. So when you're left foot, you walk along with your dog at heel, your dog needs a good heel for this, obviously. Um, and the more engaged it is in the heel, the easier you're going to find this. You're walking along and walking along and walking along. Your left foot hits the ground and you stop walking and you say, sit. The dog sits and then you carry on walking. And then over time, you take that pause and decrease it and decrease it and decrease it 
and you're just slowly decreasing that pause until you're walking normally. So my advice if you're struggling is to add more pause in. Obviously there's a million and one reasons why you could be struggling and there's been no further you know, information than that. But that would be my guess. That's usually what I see. On to rewards. What is the best reward to use? This is open-ended question 101. There's not a best reward to use. It depends on the dog. So, example, the best reward for my shepherd is a ball on a rope. The best reward for my Rottweiler is a guy in a bike suit. The best reward for my ground is food. Any food. That bowl of rocks you could probably eat. You need to work out what motivates your dog and to what extremes does it motivate the dog. I'm also an advocate of high-value rewarding. So, chicken, cheese, fish, tripe, all that good stuff. Is some of it going to be not great for your dog, like cheese? Yeah, sure. But hey, you're going to be feeding five pieces per training session. You're going to train three times a week. That's 15 little tiny blocks of cheese. For the dog to potentially have off-lead freedom, that's worth it for me. The payoff becomes worth it. So you need to work out what the best reward is to use. There's not a trick. There's not you know, a holy grail of rewards where something's much better than all the other things and the trainers are trying to hide it from you. It just doesn't work like that. You need to work out what motivates your dog. Moving on to the penultimate section of the podcast, Academy Updates. So, for those of you that don't know, I run Obsidian Canine Academy. You are probably listening to this podcast on the website. These are just two updates that I think are important for this week. Heel Work 101, The Lot. I filmed a half an hour video yesterday that probably took about three hours to film and edit and upload on heel work 101, every single fucking step of it. Every step is there. From my dog has no idea what heel work is to full competition heel work. All the steps are in a row in one video. So members, go and watch that because it's a really important one. My other bit of academy update is the training day. If you're listening to this the day it came out, the training day is this Sunday, which is in two days time, the 22nd. Um, for those that don't know, every now and then, I open the doors here to all my academy members. Every single one of them is welcome, and they can come and train. We don't do anything set in stone. It's not you know, a seminar or a workshop where we're going to be working on X, Y, and Z. We just train. We just all get together and train whatever they want to do. So guys, I'll see you all then. And the very last part of the podcast, my bit of advice. You need to become unshakable in what you're doing. Whether that be in dog training or whether it be in other aspects of your area. If you've got any self-doubt, how the fuck can the rest of the world get behind you? You need to be completely unshakable in your goal. So if your goal is, I'm going to get a PH1 on my dog or I'm going to make the agility world team, then cool. Awesome goal. Stand behind it. Stand behind it with confidence. If you'll stand behind it like a shaking child who's going to school for the first day, nobody's going to fucking believe in you. Once you start believing in yourself and other people believe in you, more opportunities will open for you. Other people will start looking at your work. Other people will start seeing what you're doing and noticing you. People that you would never expect. So become unshakable, guys, and enjoy it. That's it for this week. I'm going to tune out now. And I'll see you all for episode five next week.